Are you ready? Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Heatwave Sports, Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Tim Unclesby will be joining us in a little while. We have Chris Wynn, and you can go check him out at Twitter, Christian Wynn. Check me out at Twitter, at Tom Barton Sports. Also, guys, TomBartonSports.com, just because you're sitting back and you're going, okay, football's almost over, doesn't mean we can't still make money. I'm hitting over 70% for now the third year in a row, all documented in hockey, okay? I'm hitting over 65% in college basketball, and I'm coming up for a month where I'm hitting 75% in college basketball. I am rocking this. Right now, I'm in an absolute zone. The NFL football season, you know, it might be over for most of you. But look, you sign up at TomBartonSports.com. Not only are you going to sit back and you're going to be able to get my hockey, my basketball, my NBA, which I am absolutely undefeated, although I've only played 10 games this season. You're going to get all of that for 30 full days. That includes the Super Bowl. That includes my prop plays on the Super Bowl. A lot of these other guys are out there. They're charging you 100 bucks just for the Super Bowl game. Look, you're going to be able to get everything that I do at TomBartonSports.com. Go check that out, guys. Also, I could use your support. If you're fans of the show, if you're listening in, it takes a minute. Just go to my YouTube channel. Go check out Tom Barton Sports and just, you know, take a look and see if you like what we're talking about there. We're trying, I'm trying to build that up so I could use the support of guys that, look, I've been doing this for uh, 11 years now in Vegas, so I could use your support there. All right, Chris, I want to talk initial reactions, right? Immediate reactions. We will have two weeks to go over and dig through and sift through the realities of this and break it down. And I'm going to watch some tape and I'm going to, you know, talk to uh, everybody that knows something about everything. Everyone's going to have an opinion on this game. I normally don't love the Super Bowl uh, because I don't think it's a great game to bet on, but we're talk props. We're going to do all of that. But I just want your initial reaction because my initial reaction uh, is exactly what I said. I actually texted this to a couple of people. Uh, right after Cincinnati, the minute that Cincinnati won, I said, Cincinnati will be about a three-and-a-half or a four-point underdog. I nailed it, right? Like I always said, I should be a, be a bookmaker. And if it was San Francisco, I think Cincinnati would have been about a pick maybe a one-point underdog. That's what I was looking at. So my initial reaction is I'm not shocked. I thought the Rams would open up, which is exactly where they are right now, four-point favorite across the board, but you can get a three and a half at BetMGM, by the way, if you guys are shopping around. It opened at three and a half, went up to four. People like the Rams. They're at home. I get it. The total is 50. It's 49 and a half in some spots, but about 49 and a half or 50. I'm looking at this game and I'm going, you know, I, I don't love anything. It doesn't jump off the table at me. You have to look at this Rams team and you have to say they are the better team. Okay. Uh, but the better team doesn't always win, and the better team certainly doesn't always cover. They're the better team, but I expect Cincinnati money to come in because people are going to root for Cincinnati. With that being said, Cincinnati just went into Arrowhead, and you can't really turn around and say uh, that they're going to be shined down by the moment. They're not going to be upset with this. It, it, this is going to be a really good scenario. I think you're getting a little bit of value, actually, over the three-and-a-half or the four. I think it's a three-point game one way or the other. I think we'll be treated to another really good game. Uh, my initial reaction is I'm not shocked. This is the number that I set it at before the game was, was played between the Rams and Niners. I said three-and-a-half or four. I could see this dropping down back to three-and-a-half, and I think that's kind of where it stays 
as far as the total goes, opened at 50 and a half. There are some places that have 49 and a half. I think it stays right there. Chris, I'm not shocked. I'm also not looking at anything and saying, yeah, I'm jumping on that early on. I'm not touching this line right now. So, Tommy, obviously, when the clock hits zero in the San Francisco-Los Angeles game, myself being here in Las Vegas, you know, sitting around with a few friends who uh, are wired in when it comes to the gaming industry, obviously, what do we start doing? We start speculating what the line was going to be. And my initial reaction was uh, I, I gave uh, – actually, I actually gave the Cincinnati Bengals uh, a little bit more love. I had, it at, I had uh, the game at uh, minus two and a half. And, uh, and the total up around 52 and a half, something around that, around that uh, number. Obviously, we saw what the number is now. It's three and a half. So I don't have, a, I don't have any problem, really, with uh, the numbers. I think they're pretty much spot on. Uh, when it comes to the total, to be honest with you, uh, I'd probably be looking to, at the under maybe, right? I mean, it's a, you think about a, a, a game where uh, the Los Angeles Rams, look, we understand the Rams can score points, but they have been a team that is not afraid to – to, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we usually focus on what we last saw, right? And we saw a game that was essentially uh, kind of a back-and-forth grind between the between San Francisco and Los Angeles. So uh, I might take a look at uh, the total on the under, but to be quite frank and honest with you, Tommy, uh, when I saw those numbers come out, I wasn't shocked whatsoever because I think it reflects exactly what these two teams have been and what uh, the matchup looks like, at least initially, as we get set uh, for uh, the Super Bowl to come up in a couple of weeks. And uh, another reason why I think uh, I, I lean towards the under in a game, it's, it's not uh, one of those years where you have one week to prepare. Both these teams are going to have two weeks to prepare for this matchup. And uh, it's, I think that's going to come into play regarding uh, defensive preparation for both these squads going into this Super Bowl between, uh, obviously, the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's going to be interesting because McVay is known as the, this super genius and, you know, offensive guru. Look, go back to his biggest games he's ever coached. They became defensive battles, right? And the Super Bowl couldn't get anything done offensively. Today, let's be honest, you know, 20 points is, is not going to get it done against the Bengals. It doesn't look like he is not putting up these great defensive games. And I think you look at Cincinnati and, and the loss of – of some of their players on the defensive side was one of the reasons why I was selling on Cincinnati the last couple of weeks, because I didn't believe that they could get past it, but they have. And you're right. Um, the one kind of thing that we don't talk about very often is the coaching matchup. Now I have ripped apart publicly Zach before, right? I, I didn't think he was up to the challenge. I thought that, that he was the lesser coach, but he just outcoached Andy Reed or, or did he? And now McVay, he's kind of in the McVay tree. I wonder what kind of effect that has on it. I will say this, look, from a betting perspective, and I'm, I'm talking as an expert here, guys, in the field, um, I don't think you're going to get massively different numbers. Oftentimes, like today, I said, look, if you, if you like Cincinnati, shop around because you could find that 7.5. And, and, and I thought that that was going to be important. I said, look, I don't think that the Rams are going to sit back and just stay at 4. We saw them fall to 3.5, and, and eventually it did touch 3. And, and I kind of saw that movement. I don't think this game ever gets to three here, Chris. It's four, it's sitting at three and a half in some spots. I don't think you're going to get enough bangle money when the Rams are at home and they're the flashy team. And they're, If anything, I think it jumps back up to four. I don't think you're going to get a three here. As far as the total goes, you know, 
my initial reaction was the over. And then I pulled back immediately. And I think that most betters are going to kind of do that. I think if you wanted the over, you're going to get it at 49, 49 and a half. If you want the under, you might be able to shop around and get a 50 out there. But I don't, I don't see a lot of line movement here or, or early on. I don't see that the public is going to drive this one way or the other. So I think they set a really good line. I think they set a good line to get exactly what they want, which is action on both sides. And that's what we're looking at. All right, Chris, let's, let's move on from that. For right now, we have the Super Bowl set. We're going to have two weeks to talk about it. Next week, we'll break it down. We'll talk about that. We'll have a big Super Bowl show the night before. The night before the Super Bowl is one of our best shows. It's always our best show of the year. We invite everybody on. So we'll get dive real deep into the Super Bowl over the next two weeks. But I want to put that on the side for now. You tweeted something out today uh, about the Miami Dolphins. We just had the coaching conversation last night. We went real deep into the coaching conversation. So I don't want to spend too much time on it. But we got about 20 minutes before the break. I want to touch on what you tweeted out and the rumors about the Raiders. So why don't you talk about what you threw out there? Okay, you want to talk about the uh, the, the Miami Dolphins situation? or, or, or Yeah, let's throw that out, out there first. Okay, so obviously the, 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 we, we talked in, in depth about uh, the coaching situations around the NFL, what could possibly transpire, who could go where, and those types of things. Now, obviously we've had – much more clarity just in the last 24 hours on that coaching search. And for all intents and purposes, Tommy, and uh, look, I've been on Twitter in the last hour because we've been doing the show, but for all intents and purposes, it's basically signed, sealed, and delivered that Ziegler is going to be the general manager here in Las Vegas for the Raiders. And then now it's Josh McDaniels just kind of crossing, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's that Josh McDaniels is going to be the head coach here in Vegas for the Raiders. So you're going to get that tag team from New England as both the general manager and head coach here. Now, obviously, as you can imagine, Tommy, that is going to spark all kinds of chatter and banter across the board regarding not necessarily Ziggler, because I think he's a guy that that a lot of people have a ton of faith in. I think that he is a guy that is absolutely – is uh, in the mix when it comes to up-and-coming player personnel guys in the National Football League. But it all centers around the coaching search, and it all centers around Josh McDaniels. And, you know, whether or not he is somebody that is going to – is the right choice for, you know, for lack of a better phrase, to come in here and take over the reins of the Raiders and get them to a point where they continue to – you know, uh, you know, excel in this franchise. Excel maybe is the wrong word. Maybe, you know, is he the guy that moves them forward? And, you know, and again, you're going to get all kinds of reaction left and right. I also tweeted out uh, something that I got from a few of uh, my connections up in Michigan regarding the Jim Harbaugh situation and, and the coaching search regarding him. And there, look, there, and I made sure to point this out, it is not anything that's set in stone. It's not anything that is definite by any stretch of the imagination. But Stephen Ross is a Michigan guy, the owner of the Miami Dolphins. He is a big-time Michigan booster. He would bend over backwards to get Jim Harbaugh down there in Miami to coach that football team. We talked about it yourself, Tommy, me, and Tim yesterday about Jim Harbaugh, what his desires could be, possibly be, what you know, what could be pulling him in different directions. But – Make no mistake about it, Tommy. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that Ross 
and the powers that be there in Miami would love to have Jim Harbaugh as the head coach there in Miami. Now, obviously, this is, this brings back memories for all football fans out there of another certain high-profile college coach that left LSU, you know, a handful of years back and went to that very same team, the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, I'm talking about Nick Saban, okay? That would be kind of the same kind of uh, deal as far as uh, how this would be viewed if Jim Harbaugh decides to leave Ann Arbor and go coach the Miami Dolphins. So just a couple of uh, intriguing stories there, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this, Tommy, especially on the Las Vegas Raiders front because I've been one who's been vocal. I've I've already been talking about it on social media. I do not believe that Josh McDaniels is the right fit here in Las Vegas with the Raiders. And with respect to the Miami Dolphins job, I think it would be an absolute home run for the Miami Dolphins if they're able to land the likes of Jim Harbaugh. So there's a couple of things and a couple of aspects, obviously, big-time news off the field in the NFL that went down here on Championship Sunday, Tommy. Chris, let's touch on the Miami thing real quick um, first. And, yeah, absolute home run if they get him. Um, absolutely. I, I thought that the the first initial, the minute they start fire, fired Flores, we were on the air and I said, uh, Harbaugh's coming. I mean, you know, that's the only reason you, you fire Flores. But as we went into last night, not so true. <laughs> right? You fly, fire Flores because he's got uh, issues with the GM and whatnot. Okay. I'm still in the camp, though. And maybe I have to maybe it's it's the day of Brady, right? I mean, maybe it's just because Adam Scheffler ruined me here over the last couple of days. But I'm still in the camp that I have to see Harbaugh say I'm leaving for him to leave. I don't believe it. I do. I still don't believe he's going to walk away from Michigan. I still believe that this is a power play to try to get more money. Now, I look at his scenario of choosing Miami, and I, I go, okay, I get it. You have Tua, who he watched and. He is talented. All right. Okay. He's got a defense that he could win with. Sure. It's a good culture down in Miami. It's a storied franchise down in Miami. He would be able to work with the general manager down in Miami. And then I go, but wait a minute. He's going to be entering a division with Josh Allen, who's going to run that division for the next decade. He's going to enter a division with, look, maybe an up-and-coming New York Jets team and certainly an up-and-coming New England team. I don't know. I don't think that looking at that Miami situation is a great fit for him. So I'm holding it off because I still don't believe that Harbaugh goes. I still believe that this is one of those, there's some smoke, but I don't believe that there's a fire kind of situation. So I may be proven completely wrong here. I don't expect to wake up tomorrow morning or Tuesday and all of a sudden go, oh, look, Jim Harbaugh's the Miami Dolphins head coach. I think it would be a great, a great thing for the organization. I just don't buy into it. I'm not buying into that. As far as the Raiders, you know that meme where you have Iron Man standing there and he's kind of smirking, he's got sunglasses on, and everything's blowing up behind him? Vegas Raiders fans, get ready, because that's Josh McDaniels. For better or for worse, McDaniels is not going to come into, into Vegas. He's not going to come in here and be perfectly fine running Josh Jacobs out there and Derek Carr out there and Waller and the collection of, of wide receivers that there are, and Crosby. No, 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 no. He's not taking over the Raiders to be status quo of what they just did, which was make the playoffs. He's not taking over that team. Josh McDaniels has had his pick of NFL teams. Josh McDaniels, over his last, what, 10 years, has had his pick of what teams he would want to go to in the NFL. 
if he chooses the Raiders, it's because he wants to remake this Raiders team in his likeness. He wants everything. You tweeted it out, Chris. You said, you know, Foxborough uh, West or, or New England Patriots West, right? Except my, my rebuttal to that was, sure, Foxborough West, except no Belichick, all right? Except, wait a minute, also no Brady. And I think that he knows that. I can't expect somebody with the ego of McDaniels. I can't expect somebody with that, that looking like Josh McDaniels and looking at all these jobs to take the Raiders and say, all right, cool, I'm just going to kind of stay with everything that, that they have there. No, I expect him to stand like Iron Man and things be blowing up behind him. That might be for the good, right? That, that could work out well, but I think that you better be aware, Raiders fans, there's going to be a lot of shakeup if McDaniel comes here. So, you know, I'm holding off saying it's a bad hiring because I think he's a good football mind. But I do believe there's going to be a lot of shakeup, a lot of moving parts. And here's the thing, Chris, you know this. In any walk of life, when you have a lot of moving parts, a lot can go wrong. When you keep things generally simple, a lot can go right. Bringing in McDaniels, you're going to shake up a lot of moving parts from a team that you can say, you know what, a lot of bad things about the Raiders. They just made the playoffs. This team just made the playoffs. So you're going in here, you're taking a playoff team, and you're shaking it up. I think that's what McDaniels is going to do. All right, Chris, let's take our time out here. We'll come on back. When we get back, Tim Unglesby is going to join us. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame. Really dig into this. I'm not a clickbait guy. I don't say things on the air just to make people you know, dial in and call up and get angry. No, I know there are some hosts out there that do that. I don't do that, but I have a feeling I'm going to in the next segment because David Ortiz getting into the Hall of Fame is a disgrace to the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds being compared to Babe Ruth is more of a disgrace to the game. All that and more right after this right here on Heat Wave Sports. Hey, this is Ralphie May, and you're listening to Heatwave Sports on Fox Sports Radio. All right, damn it. You are literally too stupid to insult. Thank you. Don't be a d- Now back to Heatwave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Bart. All right, guys, welcome back. Heatwave Sports, we are talking here on Championship Sunday. And, you know, we have the championship set. We have the Super Bowl set. We've been talking for an hour and a half about the Super Bowl, about Joe Burrow, about Matt Stafford, the Rams and the Bengals. It's going to be a good one. But we have two weeks to talk about that. And we didn't go back and look back at the Hall of Fame conversation, which I do want to get into now. Tim Unglesby is going to join us here. Uh, Chris Wynn, myself, Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. I want to get into this. I put out, look, I visited the Hall of Fame last month. Um, I hadn't visited in in some time, and I visited it last month. And one of the alarming things to me was that while there's no plaque of the, the steroid guys, there is a giant window and a display about all the steroid problems from Brian Braun, uh, to Sammy Sosa, to everybody, everybody that was involved. There's a display. A-Rod was in there. Everybody, the Mitchell Report, uh, Balco was, was there, Jose Canseco. Yeah, it was all there. Everybody seemingly, except for David Ortiz. Now, ironically, 
if you turn around from the giant display case, right behind you, there's a different display case of things that happened in the 2000s. And David Ortiz's jersey is there. So his jersey's across from the steroid guys, but they weren't included. And that's when I knew, you know what's going to happen? They're going to induct this cheat into the Hall of Fame. This absolute cheat. Now, I put this out on YouTube at Tom Barton Sports, a scathing review of why David Ortiz should not be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to go deep into it here. But the reality is, look, if you believe that David Ortiz should get into the Hall of Fame because you don't care about steroids, that means that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens should also go in. If you believe David Ortiz and all steroid guys should be kept out, then, then you leave David Ortiz out. There's no way that David Ortiz should ever be in the Hall of Fame if Bonds and Clemens are not. So this isn't a steroid debate question. This is, you can't put one in and not put the others. David Ortiz was a one-dimensional player, one-dimension because he didn't play the field. David Ortiz was a guy that revitalized his entire career the same time he came out for taking steroids and he was listed on the report. David Ortiz's career, he had never hit more than 20 home runs in his career. And then all of a sudden, basically never hit less than 30 home runs. He reinvented himself. David Ortiz getting in on the first ballot in the Hall of Fame, the same year that Bonds and Clemens are removed from the, from the ballot, is nothing more than a popularity contest. This was electing a homecoming king. We don't care that he's a bad guy. We don't care that he skipped class. We don't care that he cheats on his girlfriend. We don't care any of it. He's popular. We're going to elect him the homecoming king. I think it's a disgrace. I don't know if I've... I've been upset with the Hall of Fame. I don't know if I've ever called the Hall of Fame an absolute disgrace before. It's a disgusting display to allow David Ortiz into the Hall of Fame. I want to get Chris... And Tim, welcome to the show. I want to get your thoughts on. So Tim and Tommy, make no mistake about it, okay? This word comes into my mind when I think about this entire situation that's transpired regarding David Ortiz getting in the Hall of Fame, and it's flat-out hypocrisy, okay? You, you talked about it, Tommy. You kind of touched on it. You know, the steroid era, there are a number of players that are basically up for the Hall of Fame now at this point. The guys that are on the doorstep and, uh, you know, a decision has had to be made regarding these types of players. So how about we do this? If you throw all these people into one big boat, okay, that had something to do with performance-enhancing drugs, I'm talking about all different degrees, all different amounts, whatever, because you can go down a bunch of rabbit holes about, so, well, this guy did a little bit, and this guy did a ton, and this guy never got caught, this guy's only suspected, but this guy actually, we found out that he did it, you know, okay, so how about this, you put all these people into one boat, okay, and then you're coming out and you're picking and choosing which ones of these guys is getting in the Hall of Fame, that is preposterous, okay? You can't just pick and choose guys that, that played in this era and that have been suspected of doing PEDs or have been caught doing PEDs or, on, or, on the Balco, or are involved in the Balco situation. And, you know, just because they are well-liked, you're going to put them in the Hall of Fame. And David Ortiz fits that bill, okay? And obviously guys that aren't well-liked, guys that are like Barry Bonds and some others, that aren't well liked, that are not getting in because of that. It it just destroys the credibility of the the writers' association and the powers that be that make the decision regarding you know the baseball Hall of Fame vote. And 
I mean, look, you're telling me that, okay, so if, if we're going to bring in character into the Hall of Fame discussion and we're going we're to talk about how character should come into play when it comes to guys getting into the, the Major League, getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, you've got to be kidding me, right, Tim and Tommy? You've got to be kidding me. You know how many horrendous people are people that have had obvious questionable character that are in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame? There is a ton of people that would have no business being in the Hall of Fame if you're going to bring character into the situation. There's a guy that I, that you know, from my franchise, I'm a Detroit Tiger fan. I mean, Ty Cobb wouldn't even come within, you know, 10 million miles of the Hall of Fame if character was one of the criteria for getting in the Hall of Fame. So to me, I think it's completely ridiculous. And another guy's not liked by the media. That's going to determine whether or not you get in the Hall of Fame. I think it's completely ridiculous. It should be based on merit. It should be based on what you do on the on the baseball field, and that's that. We can make the observation. And by the way, I still think I feel the same way regarding Pete Rose as well, too. I think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame also as well, too. But uh, that's obviously a different discussion. But uh, I think that uh, David Ortiz getting in, I think, is uh, is ridiculous, or it would be great. If they just did it for everybody else, right? If you if David Ortiz is getting in, Barry Bonds should be getting in. You know, uh, Roger Clemens should be getting in. You know, players like that should be getting in. If David Ortiz is one of those guys that is going to be heading to Cooperstown. Hey guys, I, I agree a hundred percent with you. I don't think very many people are going to disagree with what we're we're saying here. And for me, it's easy. If you put Ortiz in, Bonds has to go in, right? More home runs, yes. 200 more, more RBIs, more than 200 more RBIs, more than 500 more hits, ton more walks. It's not even close statistically. And then Clemens is on a different level as far as pitching. So I, I agree with the original statement by Tom is that if one goes in, they all have to go in. If they don't want many of them in, then they all don't go in. But what we're going to see here is, and I think, right, Tom, you'll agree, is that these, they're going to get in on the back end here somewhere on the, on the, the veterans side of it. But it, it is a crock that they're off. He goes in on the first ballot. I mean, it, it just it really looks bad. And does it this, is it surprising to me? And then Rob Manfred wants to come on and say, well, there was never really any proof that Ortiz uh, failed a drug test. Well, neither did Bonds. Let's look at it that way. Bonds was just more of a, a douchebag about it. That's what it comes down to. Let's also not forget that the writer of the Mitchell report was a director of the Red Sox at the time, right? I mean, that, that's reality. So there were no Red Sox on there. Why? Because he literally was the director of the Red Sox at the, the time of the Mitchell report. So there's something to be said about that. Also, I love the narrative here, guys, that, well, David Ortiz, you see people, Will Middlebrooks came out, and people go, David Ortiz tested more than anyone else ever, right? David Ortiz himself said, oh, I tested, I, I tested, you know, every other day. Well, here's the thing. With the collective bargaining agreement, guys, and the rules that were in place by the union, the only way you could be tested at an excessive amount, that you could be tested more than everyone else, which was a few times a year, is if you had failed more than one drug test. So something right there that David Ortiz said kind of threw himself under the bus because that means they not only believed he failed once, but they believed that he failed a couple of times. They probably kept it quiet but said, you know what, look, you got to keep testing. If he tested as much as he did, the union would have already jumped on top of that because they were not allowed according to the union rules. That's something a lot of people don't know. Um, 
Chris, real quick, I just want to point something out. I don't want to get into a debate about it. I'm just going to kind of say it. I, I know that you know. I want the listeners to know as well. You know, you said Ty Cobb was a bad guy and, and this and that. A lot of the history of Ty Cobb was changed because of, of uh, Al Stumpy's book, okay? That was written after Ty Cobb had played, after Ty Cobb was long gone. That was a lot of the history that was changed. Not a lot of references to Ty Cobb being a racist, not a lot of references to Ty Cobb being a bad guy, not a lot of references to people you know, absolutely hating Ty Cobb. Until that book came out, they glorified the anti-Ty Cobb movement, then the Field of Dreams came out, we don't like Ty Cobb. There wasn't a lot of that. Now, there's a lot of shady things that Ty Cobb did. That famous photo from the first class, they, you know, Ty Cobb arrived late to the Hall of Fame, so they just didn't put him in the photo. So there's a lot of weird things that he did there. Uh, but it's not uh, evidence, and it's not historical fact, and I've spoken to historians about Ty Cobb, that he was that bad of a guy. But since we are talking about the past, guys, David Ortiz getting in is an absolute abomination. But what's worse is the overreaction for Barry Bonds. Do I believe Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, now that we're letting steroid guys in, absolutely, I think he should be. Do I believe that Barry Bonds is the greatest player that I've ever seen? Yeah, yeah okay, maybe. You know, it's debatable. I'm not going to fight you too much on that. Do I believe that Barry Bonds is one of the top ten greatest players of all time? You know, I, I think he's, he's certainly there. Absolutely. But people really went overboard. And maybe it's the fact that I'm watching, you know, listening to, to people that are younger than me. They aren't historians. They don't understand the sport. But I think it's blasphemy and it's disgustingly ridiculous. People going, Barry Bonds is the greatest of all time. Greatest hitter of all time. Saying it with such flippant nature, greatest hitter of all time. Barry Bonds isn't close to the best player of all time. Barry Bonds isn't close to the best hitter of all time. Barry Bonds is sitting there, and when you go, well, Tom, he's not close. You know, you put him in your top ten. The gap between one and two <laughs> is the Grand Canyon, guys. I thought it was completely out of control to watch so many people people that, that work for Major League Baseball Network, people that are in baseball, to say such ridiculous things like Barry Bonds is the greatest of all time. I'm disgusted. It's not close, and it shouldn't even be a topic of conversation. Well, I, I, I respond to that by saying, and I push back a little bit as far as, look, when I brought up Ty Cobb, I was talking about the concept of character, right? And in, in the, in the uh, scope of what we're talking about here regarding the Hall of Fame and, and steroid use, right? And PEDs, the reason why, or, or at least the, the reason given why these guys aren't getting in is because they did something wrong, right? They used PEDs. So that's kind of like the scope I was using. Obviously, you and I and Tim were, were way too young. I never was around when Ty Cobb played. I was never, you know, I, all I can do is go by, you know, historical uh, you know, uh, reflection and, uh, and what was actually said and what was actually, you know, what's actually been said about him. But uh, to your point regarding Barry Bonds, look, I, I don't think there's any question. Yeah, he's, probably, he's not the, the greatest player of all time. Uh, and he's, not the, he's definitely not the best hitter of all time. I, there's, you know, you could argue that the best hitter of all time is probably not in the top three as far as greatest players of all time. Uh, obviously, I'm talking about the likes of Ted Williams. But uh, that being said, I mean, it's with, with Barry Bonds, What's so kind of polarizing about him is that he was a guy who you think about and you think about his days back in Pittsburgh.
where he's 180 pounds, 175 pounds soaking wet, and he was skinny, and everybody brings up the whole, well, you know, and they bring, by the way, they bring it up with Roger Clemens as well, too. This argument, right, Tommy, that, well, they would have been a Hall of Famer anyway, even if they didn't use PEDs. You know, they were already on a trajectory where they were going to be Hall of Famers before PEDs came into the mix. And, I mean, again, to me, that's it's like, I mean, it, it, that's, you know, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, what a Merry Christmas we'd all have, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously, if these guys had never been I mean, we can we can all speculate and sit back and say, well, this guy, you know, because of his traje trajectory of his career, he would have absolutely been someone that would have been uh, a first ballot inducted, no question about it, Hall of Famer, regardless of uh, PED use. But the fact of the matter is, we did have the steroid era, and uh, and also kind of a kind of a kind of a weird and uh, and and a rough fact, guys. Bud Selig is in the freaking Hall of Fame. Bud Selig. The guy who was the commissioner back when all this was going on, where it all when it all started out back in the you know early '90s, up through you know the period of time where you had the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire stuff in two, in 1998, which was kind of looked at as kind of the you know the the uh, resurrection of baseball after the after the the strike year in 1994. I mean, Bud Sealing is in the Hall of Fame after overseeing all that, and that basically turning a blind eye to all that. He's in the Hall of Fame, yet you're keeping out guys who, you know, should be in the Hall of Fame because of PEDs. To me, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's all a bunch of just garbage. And uh, again, I use the word hypocrisy because it, it just comes screaming loudly when we're talking about this topic. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the, the one thing that people kind of overrate Barry Bonds, I said this and, and Chris, me and you got into it and I said overrate because they're saying he's the best. Um, the all-time home run leader, right? The great Barry Bonds. You know how many times he led the league in home runs? Twice in 22 years. You know how many times the great Barry Bonds led the league in runs? Once in 22 years. How many times did he lead the league in RBIs? Once in 22 years. That is uh, an alarming, eye-popping kind of number when you're talking about it. The big pushback, and I want to touch on this, guys. It's a controversial subject. I told you I was going controversial here because I'm sick and tired of the narrative being written. The one pushback is always the integration conversation with Babe Ruth. Well, he didn't play during integration. Well, here's the reality. Babe Ruth would have absolutely dominated Negro League players. Babe Ruth would have dominated Hispanic players. Babe Ruth would have been better if he dominated that. But it didn't even matter. We only have to go to math, guys. Babe Ruth only had 16 teams. He played against seven teams because they only played against when you break down the numbers of how many players were in the league and then the percentages, in 1970 had the biggest percentage of African-American players. It was 20%. So you go break down those numbers, break down how many pitchers there were, break down the percentages of pitchers in Major League Baseball who are better than the rest. It's less than a quarter, but okay, we'll give them a quarter. You're talking about Babe Ruth in his prime would have faced about five, maybe six pitchers. All time, that's it. That were integrated. And to bring it a little step further, Babe Ruth did barnstorming tours. As a matter of fact, what broke up Babe Ruth's streak of leading the league in home runs and RBIs was the fact he was suspended 35 games for playing with Negro League players, for playing barnstorming tours. He was suspended, not because he was a great bastard in the game. He just wanted to play baseball, right? So you look at that and you go, okay, well, we have statistical analysis to do that. And we have a 55-game sample. 55 games is not a huge sample, but it's a sample. In the 55 games against Negro League players, Babe Ruth hit 455. 
Then you go and you look at the Cuban leagues. Well, he played in Cuban barnstorming tours as well. That's what he did. He went out, out there. We don't have a big sample size. We got about a 15-game sample size. He hit 355 in that situation. And you can talk about the home runs, 12 home runs here and there. The narrative that people want this to be, that Babe Ruth couldn't have played because look at today's athletes. Look at, look at the integration. Look at this. They're grasping at straws. Barry Bonds would have never lasted, ever lasted, during Babe Ruth's era. Barry Bonds had multiple injuries. Imagine having to play through them. Barry Bonds wouldn't have had to cheat. And by the way, I'm talking about not the steroids. Barry Bonds was a cheater outside of steroids. He wore an illegal elbow guard that he was grandfathered in. That takes away the middle of the plate. The elbow guard also had a spring system into it, but that's a whole other conversation. But he wouldn't have been able to wear that. Would Barry Bonds have been able to have the kind of career that he did if he was traveling the way that they did, if he was living the life the way that they did, if he was having to have an off-season job, which a lot of them did. So it's just an unfair comparison. You have to compare generation by generation the guys that you played against against the guys that you played against. Because when you break it down, that's the only uh, attribute that you can really say, okay, this is tangible. Abe Ruth dominated the sport like no other player has ever dominated a sport ever, 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 ever. Gretzky is a very is close, uh, but it's not even that close. So that's my final kind of take on this. It just drives me nuts, and it gets my, my blood pressure going when people make ridiculous comments, and it seems to catch the steam that all of a sudden becomes, oh, wait a minute, because I made that comment, that's actually true. It's not true. It's very easily argued the other way. And it's ridiculous to argue. And it's a disservice to Barry Bonds to kind of throw that out there, that he's the greatest ever. Why can't you just be one of the top ten greatest? At that point, no one's saying anything. You start saying the greatest, that's where I get a little annoyed. Tim, I know you wanted to jump in here. Yeah, I don't, you know, like Chris said, we didn't get to watch Babe Ruth play, but I don't even think it's a discussion that he's the best ever. Bonds is debatably not even in the top three. So it is what it is, and you're right. I have I think him it's barely just, inside my top ten. Yeah, I got him. I got him like right in around eight, nine, ten in that area. Which, hey, man, that's a hell of a career, right? And when it comes down to it, you really can't compare the eras, like you said. But if you try to do it the best you can and use variables the best way that you can, I, I don't think there's. It's even. I don't even think. I don't. I wouldn't even know who number two would be on my list right now, Tom. But it's not even close between one and two. So it's a, it's a stupid discussion point. And it almost seems like people just need something to talk about. I mean, it doesn't even register on my uh, importance list because there, there's no afterthought on it. It's Babe Ruth and nobody else, right? So I just wanted to uh, go right back on Ortiz real quick, and we can move on because I know it's it's a moot point. The guy's in the Hall of Fame, right? But if yeah. what really gets gets me on this is that <clears throat> they they basically singled out, okay, Bonds and Clemens are off off the ballot now, right? They've used up their eligibility. Ortiz goes in on in round number one. So what's going to happen here is Gary Sheffield, Thomas next, who has comparable stats to David Ortiz. He's not going to go. He's going to be kicked off. Manny Ramirez, who has better stats than David Ortiz, is coming up after that. He won't make the Hall of Fame. Aroid, who who just, uh, what is he, year two or three, he has better stats than David Ortiz. He's not going to make it. it. That's the problem here is that these, all these guys are going to be singled out as PED users, and they shouldn't be in unless the Veterans Committee puts them in. But Ortiz goes in the first round. That right there, it just doesn't smell right, and that's what makes me really 
over time, the, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame has become something that, um, and, and I went too a few years ago, Tommy, unbelievable. You got to go if you've never went, but it loses its credibility. It really does. Chris, you know, just a last word on this. Um, next year, the, the cupboard's pretty bad, right? I mean, like, like Tim said, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, Gary Shepard, they're not going in. We're looking at Billy Wagner, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland. Um, Todd Helton gets knocked for course field, but they're letting in David Ortiz, a steroid user. Billy Wagner, not sure if he gets there. Andrew Jones with a lot of defense. Um, you know, you're opening it up to, to a lot of discussion. Maybe, maybe Scott Rowland. I don't see anybody really getting in next year. Maybe they put Roland. Do you think any of them get in, Chris? No, I don't think they do. I don't think they do. And it's uh, yeah. And and to go back to the point that Tim was making, I think it's going to be the veterans committee that's going to make the decision regarding a lot of these guys that are you know quote unquote controversial about getting in. I think that's going to end up coming down to that. Look, I mean, and uh, you know, when it's all said and done. You know, the Veterans Committee, you know, inducted people with the likes of uh, Alan Trammell, you know, and, uh, and and Jack Morris and some of these others. Look, obviously, I'm talking about Tigers there. But, uh, you know, I, I don't see there any way possible that guys like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and even, to be quite honest with you, Alex Rodriguez, uh, I think they absolutely find a way to get in through the Veterans Committee. And, uh, and that's how it ends up shaking out in the end. Well, guys, we got a few minutes left. Anything uh, we want to touch on? It's been it's been a great night as we get ready for Super Bowl in two weeks' time with the, the Bengals and the Rams. Tom, anything you want to touch on? Yeah, just real quick. I, you know, I brought up the baseball because I wanted to save a minute or two to just say um, the negotiations that we were all excited about. Apparently, they failed, uh, stalled. They are not going to continue the negotiations tomorrow. If they do not start to come to a conclusion, if they're not. If we're sitting here next Sunday at this time, and the Major League Baseball, uh, you know, lockout we'll call it, or or whatever you want to call this, is continued, that means spring training games will be missed. They have seven days to get this arranged, guys, or else we miss spring training games. Yeah, Tommy. Uh, obviously, myself and Tim, we're here in Las Vegas, and. Uh, we're, uh, you know, close friends with Jim Gemma, who works with the uh, Las Vegas Aviators, the AAA affiliate here for the Oakland A's. And we've had discussions already with him on this. It looks very, very, very possible that uh, there's going to be some type of uh, either, uh, 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 you know, uh, slow walk into the season, i.e. there's going to be spring training games missed, you know, and a possible delay to the start of the regular season, given the, uh, you know, situation regarding the uh, labor agreement. So, it's going to be uh, it's going to be dicey, but, and uh, we'll just kind of kind of sit back and wait and see exactly what happens. But uh, it doesn't appear, guys, that uh, the Major League Baseball season is going to get off on a smooth and uh, right foot here in uh, 2022. Now, Chris, he, Jim did say that if Major League Baseball is still locked out, that the minor leaguers will play. Correct. Yeah, he did say that. Yeah, so I, I, but I was obviously talking about the major league season, what what could actually transpire. But uh, yeah, but and, and I was also because because we, we were obviously Tim, we were talking about the uh, big league weekend last week. Because obviously Jim gets fired up about that, and as rightfully so here in Vegas. But that would affect obviously you know major league baseball spring training as to uh, big league weekend and how exactly you know the major league clubs would go forward 
as far as, uh, you know, just getting ready for the season, right, guys? I mean, it would just throw kind of a monkey wrench into the whole deal, uh, despite the fact that minor league uh, that minor leagues would have uh, at, at all levels, from AAA down to to, uh, to a rookie ball, would still be able to do more, move forward in a somewhat normal fashion. It, Tom, it's very deja vu-ish, isn't it, that it seems like every time Major League Baseball has a great season, or even back in the 90s when they were in, currently in it, they were having an unbelievable season when Montreal was was leading the way to, to stop business. And now here we go again, another great season last year. And they, they shut it down. And, you know, we're all looking forward to these. We had we had a big offseason with some great trades and free agent signings. And now we're just kind of standing here twiddling our thumbs, waiting to see what these guys are going to do. And, of course, that leads me back to there's still two big names on the market, Tom, as far as where these guys are going to go when we, when we start playing again. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing where these guys sign. Yeah, Major League Baseball shoots itself in the foot. Major League Baseball is not boring. Major League Baseball games are not too long. Major League Baseball ticket prices are not too high. Major League Baseball has a problem at the top. No, that's certainly for sure. Um, yeah, look, you know, Trevor Story is somebody that, that's massive, and Carlos Correa, these are two huge names that are going to move the market, but there's a lot of other names out there as well, Tim. You know, guys like Rodon and, and whatnot, there's a lot of moving parts now, and now you start to get into a position especially uh, from, from a fan standpoint, fantasy-wise, you're doing dynasty leagues, uh, people are sitting back and you're starting to, to make futures plays and starting to kind of get a feel for it. We're all on standstill. And I don't know. Look, if, this, if they start missing spring training games and start kind of going into deep into the spring, I don't know how many of these guys are going to get the lucrative deal that they thought that they were going, going to get. There's a lot of time for people to kind of sit back, a lot of time for general managers and owners to think on things. You don't want that. You want to be in the frenzy. This is why you have the, you know, the baseball winter meetings. You want to be in the frenzy and throw cash, and here we go. That's better for the players. The longer this goes, the worse it is for the players. Chris, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I just think that, and we talked about the two guys that are available, right? We talk about Carlos Correa and Trevor Story. Make no mistake about it. You know, it, it, these are two guys that would be absolute different make, difference makers for contending teams, right? Think, imagine a Carlos Correa going to a team like the White Sox, right? They would, you know, you'd immediately put them. I mean, look, they're already going to be in the mix anyway, as far as uh, the American League and uh, and the playoff picture. But imagine getting a guy there on the south side of Chicago. Imagine a Trevor Story going to the likes of the Dodgers, right, or or to the Yankees. It'd be it'd be tremendous. So. Uh, the, you know, there, that's what I think adds a little bit of intrigue there to, uh, you know, what's left of the, uh, the star players that are out there that could, uh, that could uh, you know, kind of switch things up when it comes to uh, the balance of power in Major League Baseball. Radio personality, he's on every well, – he's all over your dial, actually, if you, if you think about it. Tell everybody where they can get a hold of you on social media. And uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting – two weeks here but of course you know we're gonna have you back for the big super bowl preview show in two weeks time no doubt about it tim and tommy it's great to be a part of the heat wave sports family always good to join you guys on the weekends you can find me at at, at christian win on twitter you can also find me at cwin 77 over on instagram and at christian win on facebook always not afraid to banter about and uh, all topics across the board uh, especially in the sports world as uh we get set uh, two weeks away. 
from uh, the big game. And, of course, uh, now everyone's going to start ramping it up. And Tommy talked about it at the top of the show. You, it's it's not just football, baby. We got everything coming up. We got college hoops. We got the NBA, some NHL action. It's going to be a lot of fun here in uh, the coming weeks. And, Tom, you have a full plate every, each and every week, TomBartonSports.com, a podcast, YouTube. Let everybody know about your wealth of knowledge. Yeah, guys, uh, go check it out. I also have a brand-new co-host for the next uh, couple of weeks here. Rashad Jennings joining me every morning on uh, on every Sunday morning. SGN, hashtag SGN, Sports Garden Network. You guys can go check that all out. Wanna Bet is the podcast. Wagering Week is the podcast. Believe in the Ivy League is my other podcast. You guys that are Ivy League betters, you want to check that out. And go check out the YouTube channel. It's Tom Barton Sports and TomBartonSports.com to keep pumping out these winners, guys. I have a full slate of games tomorrow. You're going to get all of it for 30 days for less than $100. It's TomBartonSports.com. All right, Tommy, next week on both days again. Yeah, cannot wait. Next week we're going to be breaking down. How about some prop plays, Sam? I think the uh, props are going to be coming out. I'm I'm excited for that. (laughs) The prop show next week for, for sure, guys. For Tom Barton, for Chris Wynn. Special thanks to Ari Platinum back behind the board for us again tonight. We'll talk to you next Saturday night at 10 o'clock. It's Heatwave Sports, only on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a good week.